Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Phil here, and I have a terrific guest with an amazing story on the show today. This gentleman is the president and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. I spent some time as an associate pastor of Memorial Lutheran Church and the headmaster of Memorial Lutheran School here in Houston. More recently, he served the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod as the chief mission officer, interim executive director of pastoral education, and executive director of the Office of National Mission. He holds a bachelor's from the University of Concordia, Nebraska, spent a year overseas at the University of Cambridge, and has a Master of Divinity from Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, wrapping it up with an MBA from Washington University, St. Louis. So pleased to have a beloved brother in Christ join me on the GLE podcast today. Reverend Bart Day, welcome to the show. Thank you, Phil. It's great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, sir. I'm glad you could make it. So Going from associate pastor to CEO of a major financial institution is kind of a unique journey for the typical pastor. So I'm curious, can you give us just a little story, high level of how that came to be? Sure. I often joke and say that uh, other than those early first years in the parish, I've spent the last 20 years in the church doing everything that the seminary did not prepare me to do. (laughs) So. Seminary is a great education. It's a great basis. And so that has been a blessing through all these things. But yeah, I was called to be an associate pastor in Houston. I had responsibilities as a typical associate pastor in a nice sized congregation, a lot of youth work, education work, teaching, all that stuff. But there was, of course, a great Lutheran school there. And so early on got pulled into just kind of teaching in the school, leading chapel in the school. Uh, but after I'd been there probably about five, seven years, uh, there were some challenges in the school, and so as churches typically do, you know, had kind of a task force. Let's look into the school and how do we improve the school, and we put together a whole plan. It was like a two or three year plan on how really to or closely integrate church and school together uh, and combine those ministries and really strengthen the school and use it for outreach and evangelism, and we started down that path, and the principal, who I loved, uh, got a call across town to the Lutheran High School and left like the first week of July. And uh, here we were, you know, weeks away from school, and somebody said, oh, Pastor Day, you just need to be the head of the school. I was like, "Uh, uh, no, I don't. (laughs) Uh, And they're like, yeah, sure, you've been helping with this, with this, uh, you know, Blue Ribbon Task Force. You know, you've been working with Principal Lomar. Yeah, you don't want me to be the head of the school. And so I was sort of harangued into doing it or encouraged to do it. And we thought that would just be literally for a year. And it was a crazy year. It was accreditation year. And all kinds of stuff happening in the school. Katrina was right around that time and we had kids coming in. And when we went to call a principal, we just couldn't really find anybody that the school and the church was happy with. There were a lot of great candidates, either, you know, just weren't ready to leave where they were, had kids or whatever. And so they kind of asked me, you know, do you want to stick it out and stay in the school? And so, and so I did. So I started going back to school to get a master's in, uh, education and administration and just kind of dove in completely into the school. Um, And I would say that that was similar to my other shifts where I never really sought these things out. Uh, Doors were just open and really just mentors and people encouraged me along the way and then really kind of came alongside and helped, supported me, coached me, groomed me into those positions. So um, I kind of fell backwards into a lot of these things. So, but the school was a great experience. It was certainly different than serving just kind of regular in the parish and had to learn a lot of things about leadership and administration and finance and all those kind of things, just relationships and how you keep things together. Uh, Faculties can be like, you know, herding crazy cats all the time and you got parents, love the kids, parents are sometimes a little crazy, but just learned a lot. And uh, in 2011, I was invited to come to St. Louis for an interview for not really any position in particular. Matt Harrison had been elected president. I had done a lot of work with him through World Relief and Human Care through the years. And he had several open positions and just wanted me to come to St. Louis and kind of see what they were up to. And I told him I wasn't really interested in kind of joining the church bureaucracy and working in the headquarters and being away from the parish and the school. Um, but they had a new opportunity for national mission and that was a new thing at that time in the restructure. So since it was being upended and 
probably 14 programmatic ministries that have been under various boards and commissions and committees were all coming together in national mission. And we were kind of asked to restructure the whole thing. So that was a super exciting time. I think they wanted somebody who was a parish pastor that would try to keep things theologically anchored. They wanted somebody who had school connection because school ministry is always a big part, youth, education, all those things, the mercy work. Uh, so that was, that was great. And as you mentioned, while I was there, they wrote me into doing other things. When I was chief mission officer, I was actually my own boss for like a year. It's pretty great being your own boss. If you've never done that before, you should try it. Rarely told myself, no, I thought I had a lot of great ideas. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't want to be the chief mission officer of Synod. We had talked about that, but I felt like, again, it was it was just kind of a step further away. You know, leaving the parish and the school as difficult as that was, I felt like serving Synod in the national mission office, I at least had the opportunity to impact in a positive way more broadly across the entire Synod. So sport, youth work or mercy work or parish nurses or disaster response, whatever, on a larger scale than what we were doing at Memorial in Houston, as great as that work was. And so uh, I never would have left Synod. I was completely, perfectly content there. And then several years, three years ago now, three and a half years ago, I was nominated for a Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And I was like, I'm not a banker. I mean, who the heck is nominating me? Like, I mean, LCF is a $2 billion financial institution of the church. And, uh, I talked to some people on the board and they said, no, we're not just looking for a banker to run LCF. We've got a lot of financial technical acumen. We're looking for some different things around leadership and growth. And uh, we think that you have some of the skills. So we think you should just be open to it and, you know, interview and go through the process. And so I did, Phil, and I really never thought that I was going to be selected when I was down to being a finalist and you go through all these interviews and everything. And, and I thought for sure another individual uh, who I knew of was going to be selected, and lo and behold, they asked me to lead LCEF. So wow. uh, all of these things have just uh, really been great opportunities, and I think I, I think that's a a key takeaway for folks that are listening around leadership is if if you're a true leader, you need to open the door for other people to have opportunities that they may never seek out on their own. I, I really was not seeking out these things. People sort of opened the door and invited me and encouraged me to do them and gave me support along the way and. Are really developing and mentoring the next generation of leaders is is sorely needed in the church and i think we need church workers we need pastors teachers and others but they also need to have some other technical business professional acumen particularly to lead larger congregations or agencies and entities of the church we've not always done a really good job identifying and cultivating those people and i just feel fortunate that people allowed me the opportunity to do that so that's kind of been my journey and been at lcf now for coming on four years. And again, I have no desire to leave LCEF, but the way things have gone for the last 20 years, I'm always just kind of waiting for the Lord to open the next right. door, see where I go. And hopefully someday, actually back to the parish, I keep telling my wife, at some point in time, we're going to retire back either to Texas or Wyoming. And I would love to just have a little church and a little school and just preach and teach again, because uh, certainly love doing those things. Wow. you uh, I resonate so much with your story because I feel like the positions I've gotten in leadership through my life, it's almost like they came to me and, and, and mm -hmm. these opportunities present themselves. And so I resonate so much with that and really being open to taking those and hearing advice from other leaders as well that can lay out that vision for you. Maybe maybe you can do things that you didn't even know you could do. You know, I think those good leaders set that vision for people, you know? Um, I'm really curious though, as an associate pastor, you know, you started off going to be a pastor and uh, for those that may not be familiar with pastoral ministry or um, Lutheran church, Missouri synod. Um, can you talk a little bit just to give some brief background on, you know, maybe what, what the call process is about, what you go through kind of when you're deciding that you want to be a pastor and then um, talk a little bit about the synod and, and in the role it plays in the church. I'd say the church recognizes that there is certainly some internal call or desire on the part of people uh, to at least explore the opportunity. Uh, for me, that was a really early on experience, basically with my all through elementary school, I went to a small parish in rural Southern Illinois, but I had a Sunday school teacher who was like golden and, and I was, I was horrible in Sunday school. I was like hell child. I mean, <laughs> I never shut up. I asked questions and this guy just, he had this group of us for probably like five or six years and sometime around middle school, junior high, he just sort of got me in the corner and said, you know, 
you know, Bart, I've really been praying a lot. I, I just really hope that as you grow up, you'll really think about being a pastor. And, and I was just sort of blown away. And then some other people in the congregation. So I, I had that sort of encouragement from others. And I certainly was very active in church and did things all through high school, but always sort of resisted and just, you know, felt like there was a possibility there. Maybe I had some skills and abilities to serve the church, but I wasn't, wasn't really sure. Um, so I think in the church, everybody always has that sort of, there's sort of this inner wrestling of whether or not you should do that. I think that that's really for, for Lutherans, that's really only confirmed sort of that, you know, that that internal call is real when the external church actually calls you and ordains you. And that means you go through for us Lutherans, a pretty long process of an undergraduate degree and four years of seminary and some kind of internship. Um, and the church decides that you are worthy um, not just academically, but spiritually fit for First Timothy kind of work of pastoral ministry. Um, and I think until that day, you know, when the church does that and confers the call, in my case, to Memorial, and that's where I was ordained and served, uh, that until then, you know, you're sort of working through that process of, of the call. So um, Lutheranism is great because we understand those vocations that God gives us and our stations in life, and he sets us certainly in our families, and he sets us in the church, and he sets us in the world, and sets us under the government, and he gives us blessings, and he gives us responsibilities in all of those realms, and, and none of them are more important than others. So no one believes that, you know, sort of your Lutheran pastor life is some kind of a higher calling and a higher vocation than, than you have as a child or a parent or a worker or an employee. Um, they're all unique to us. So but I was certainly developed in thinking along those lines. And Concordia, Nebraska was a great place that I cultivated my faith, faith during college. And I did pre-seminary work there, which was pretty academically rigorous. And that was sort of the, the washout time to see if you could sort of hack the academic requirements. And then seminary was, was quite good, too. And it wasn't just about academic, but it was around sort of the formation of what does a pastor do? How does a pastor care for his flock? How do pastors preach? How do they care for people in good times and in bad? And what does that look like? That's a lot of that's a lot of leadership and development and coaching and mentoring too. So, um, yeah, I, I'm amazed today when you see there's so many past pastors of of churches that may have very little training. And I love how the Lutheran Church emphasizes that Timothy that you're talking about and training as pastors. You know, learning Greek and Hebrew and and really understanding all of the scriptures in detail. And can you differentiate a little bit between um, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and maybe other Lutheran denominations? Because I know the name Lutheran gets thrown around a lot today. So what, what do we mean when we say Lutheran, just for, for our listeners? Yeah, I, it does get thrown around a lot. And uh, Lutherans that are typically in the news that you hear about are typically not the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Uh, the media likes uh, our larger sister synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the ELCA, which was a merger of several smaller Lutheran church bodies in the United States in the early 80s. And, and they merged together and have become the largest Lutheran church in the United States. But they're very liberal and very progressive, and not only sort of in kind of social justice type issues, but also theologically very liberal. And when I say that, I mean basically their view of the Bible um, and whether the Bible is inspired and truthful and given by God and whether it's the only rule and norm for our life or if it's just, you know, sort of a book that has some stuff and then a lot of fables and myths and things like that. And that's the ELCA. And I have lots of friends in the ELCA. When I was at, I used to joke that when I was working across the street at Synod, I was the last person in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, literally, including President Harrison. I was the last one who could walk into the ELCA headquarters at Higgins Road and been known by anybody in that building, including the president of the ELCA, because I was left kind of one of the lone dogs at the table on all the inter-Lutheran relationships. So I have plenty of friends and folks that I know in the ELCA, but they're very proud of their of their stances, which are quite progressive and quite liberal, including their views of God and the Bible and salvation, everything else. The LCMS is very different. We have just a very orthodox view of scripture that this is the inspired word of God. It is inerrant. It's not 
full of falsity and myth. It is, it is the truth and, and the only rule and norm by which we live. And so we take the word of God very seriously, including when it clashes with culture and what the world thinks is right and wrong today. And so we set our reason aside and don't allow it to trump scripture, but scripture rules supreme. And of course, we're a little bit different than a lot of other general evangelical Christians who we may share a lot in common with, and that we're still sacramental. So we have the view that God incarnate in Christ um, is still incarnate in the world, in his human nature, in his divine nature, and that he is still making himself known. He's still coming to the world, to the church, through the means of grace. So the baptism is a real thing. It's not a sign and a symbol. It's not my commitment to God. It's actually God baptizing me and burying me together with Christ and his death and resurrection. We believe absolution is really forgiving our sins, that pastors can stand in the stead of Christ and can actually forgive sins or bind sins. And we believe that the word of God is preached in the, in the sacrament of the altar. Christ is actually really truly there for forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. So I like to say that the Missouri Synod is kind of people will grouse about us because we're dead orthodox, but we actually still believe stuff. And most importantly, we still believe the gospel, that, that God is actually still reconciling the world to himself and forgiving our sins. We actually believe that we still have sins. A lot of churches don't believe this anymore, right? We're sure, not sure. totally sinful. We like to say that we're <laughs> poor, miserable sinners, like through and through, and that we have to be saved by someone outside of ourselves. And that, at the end of the day, Phil, is quite freeing uh, because it doesn't leave me either crushed by the law, feeling that I can't ever live up to it, or it doesn't let me become a puffed up Pharisee, believing that I'm actually so great uh, because I do all this really good stuff. It's so freeing to live in gospel freedom and know that Absolutely. we can go forth and do good for our neighbor because he first did it for us. And Absolutely. I love the clarification when I'm saying that I'm Lutheran. I, I basically clarify it as, you know, and I believe that Lutherans really are, are simply just Bible-believing Christians. We're, we're mm -hmm. truly Bible-believing Christians that really believe and want to do what the Bible actually says. And um, so that's what we're all about. And, and I, I think you did a great job of summarizing that for our audience today. Now, I know you touched a little bit on some leadership talk, and obviously this is a leadership podcast, so I'd like to get into some of your keys to leadership mm -hmm. and really sure. spend some time talking about those because it sounds like you've had some really good mentors. You've had some really good opportunities to have mm -hmm. a role. You've had to work with lots of different types of people in different settings, and I know you got a lot of perspective to bring. So what are some of Bart Day's keys to leadership? Sure. So I wrote them down. I wrote down six, so I didn't go too long, but try to keep them on topic here. Uh, one, I think, you know, leaders and organizations absolutely have to lead by example. Um, and that means that you don't ask anyone to do anything that you yourself are not willing to do. Uh, I think you got to be prepared to work extremely hard. If you're going to be a leader, this ain't no 40 hour a week job. Uh, you know, I will just with people within the church and say, you know, you can rest whenever you get to heaven. Until then, there's work to do. So I think leaders actually have to step up and you actually have to lead and people have to see that and it has to be genuine uh, and understood by people to believe that you yourself are actually all in, particularly in a, in a non-for-profit, you are all in for the mission, vision, core values of the organization, that this has a purpose far bigger than just, you know, returning money to shareholders, uh, that there is a real upside here. So I think, I think you have to lead by example. Uh, the other one that, I would say that I've learned over the years, and this is difficult for leaders because it means sort of stepping out and stepping up, is you cannot micromanage people. Um, leaders do not do the work. They do not accomplish the day-to-day -day operations of any organization. So I think the leader actually has to simply create the environment, create the culture where success can actually happen. Now, I understand that success and what that environment looks like might be different from place to place. Uh, but I used to call it clearing the weeds when I was at Synod. Um, I, I wanted to know from my people that I was leading, what can I do to clear the weeds? What can I do to kind of keep other people out of the way from doing things? So you can't, you can't micromanage people. Um, that one goes into the third one, which is you have to hire people that are a heck of a lot smarter than you are. And you should hire people who have as much or more drive than you do. And I learned from a, from a mentor in Houston back in Memorial that you actually ought to hire people who actually want your job. 
and, and are pretty aggressive about wanting your job. Uh, my dad used to always say that if you're the smartest person in the room, then you are in the wrong room. Mm -hmm. You need you need to surround yourself with really kind of go getter, self motivated people. So, um, learn from people outside of your narrow worldview. Uh, that was something that I learned in Houston, particularly at the school where we had kids from all over the world there and parents from all over the place and very different viewpoints. And not only were not most of them not Lutheran, but a lot of them weren't even Christian, and they had a very they have very different view of what education is or why their kids were in the school. I mean, me as the pastor and head of school, I thought I knew why they should be in our school, but they had very different views. But I think those are the kind of people a leader wants to surround themselves with uh, because those people will, will push and drive, particularly if they see you leading and creating the culture for them to succeed and not micromanaging them in their day-to-day -day work. I think you nailed how those two go so closely together, not micromanaging and hiring those right people that have that drive and maybe want your job. And I've always mm -hmm. kind of believed that good leaders, they almost work themselves out of a job. Yeah, and it's not, that they, it's not that they don't do that work. It's that they set up that organization so it's not reliant on them, which is really kind of a selfish sort of way to run an organization. If everybody's dependent on you, then, then you become this bottleneck for it. Yeah. And um, that's, that's that importance, I think. And, and I love those two points. Don't micromanage. Hire people smarter than you with as much more drive and that want your job. I think that's great. Yeah. The other one is, or the fourth one is, and this, if we talk about sort of creating a culture of innovation, which is what we've been working on at LCF is, um, do not be afraid to fail. And you, you should actually create an environment where failure is okay. Uh, and you don't punish failure. Uh, if people are truly trying to be creative and innovative now, you, you need to fail fast, you need to fail often, but you most importantly have to learn from that failure. And then when you get back up and go the next time, you implement what you learned in the past and you, and you keep driving on. Um, now back to those other higher level things though, I think when you talk about kind of the leader, CEO working themselves out of a job and that if any organization is so dependent on you, it's probably, you probably created a toxic role for yourself in the organization. <laughs> But I think what the leader has to do is they should actually be the one that is setting with the board, probably the high level vision and direction of the organization. And that means particularly in non-for-profits, you know, you have to have a clear mission statement. People need to understand and you need some vision, some very kind of audacious thing that you're ever chasing after. And then you need core values that can be articulated and understood by people. And then you need very clear sort of definable targets that you're going after. I think that mission, vision, core value targets, cascading that down through the organization, and they shouldn't just be kind of a mantra. They actually have to be lived. Um, I oftentimes tell people that probably there are only about 25% of the employees at LCF that are members of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The great majority are not. Now, the great majority of those folks are Christian by far. But many of those people, I mean, you know, I'm talking about people in banking and finance and all the rest. They, they're they're well-seasoned professionals at LCF. Many of those people could go to other organizations and get paid more money than they're paid at LCF. Yet they stay, and they stay for a very long time. And that's because they believe there is a higher purpose that's clearly articulated and lived at LCF. So when they're working our investment portfolio or underwriting loans or whatever they're doing, they actually understand that we are growing ministry opportunity. We're not doing ministry at LCF. We're not, we're not the parishes and the people on the ground, but we're providing resources and services to them that allows them to actually grow ministry opportunity. And my people understand that. They believe that. We work very hard for them to see that by either getting people out of the office onto the ground to see stuff that's happening or bringing ministries quarterly into LCF to talk to our people because I think this higher higher value and purpose is becoming more and more a driver in the workplace today. I just, I just had lunch with a young man who is a convert to Lutheranism. He works at Boeing. He has a tremendous job. He's being given all of the sensitivity training and how everything needs to change in the current climate. Um, and, and he wants out. I, I mean, he, he's making a lot of money at Boeing, but he actually wants to do something that has value and purpose like that's serving the church but he's not going to go to the seminary and be a pastor that's not his thing right he's like an accountant i mean he's a finance guy so he's coming to have lunch with me to say 
can you help me connect my like my God-given talent and vocation with an actual purpose where I feel like there's real value? And and I don't care what your non-for-profit is and what your angle is. I think today that stuff is more important than ever. And typically in an organization to create that kind of culture and to get a mission, vision, core values that are lived, that really should be coming directly from the leader. And, and that should be a primary focus of the role, not that micromanaging in the weeds. Hire the right people to run the functional operation. You keep those larger, more aspirational goals and directions and drive out in front of the entire organization. I think that's amazing. And I think uh, lots of people may not realize that even if they might, you know, they might be in an organization that might not have a set vision like you're talking about necessarily, or maybe they have a vision and it, you know, it's, it's, it's not for the church, for example, it's for some other mm-hmm. serving purpose. And okay. I think many people oftentimes get stuck thinking that they might not be able to have an impact on that organization, or maybe they feel like they're not able to use those gifts that they have. And one thing I like to tell people is that you can have an impact with every conversation you have every single day. And I think it's really cool that you have people that are reaching out to you looking for advice. And, and I think that's when you mentioned mentorship earlier, that really leveraging good mentorship and talking to people that have been through these things that, that have experience like yours and can really give you that guidance on, Hey, you know, you've got these skills. Maybe I'll set that vision for you. Like we talked about before and help you see how you can even better use your gifts in your current station, as a father, as a son, in your church, wherever you are even today. And I, I think some people are always looking for that change maybe to their life and they don't realize how big of an impact they can have just in their current circle where God's put them. And, and that you probably know this well, but this is sort of a, this is a generational division. So the generation of my parents, your parents, our grandparents, those folks, you know, they, they would give money to the institution. They love the institutional church. They will they will give time, sweat, energy, but primarily they will give money to the church. They believe the church can change the world. The younger generations kind of the tail end behind mine and on down, they're not interested in the institutional church. They're not interested in inst- giving the church their money. They actually want to do it themselves. They actually will give themselves their time. So they don't want to pay somebody money to go overseas and do something we'll just go. I mean, let's just make our own trip and let's go do it. So even that, this whole idea of of purpose and value and and giving of something has really, I think, generationally changed. And it's it's a great opportunity for the church, especially to kind of capture those people. But it will shift from some of our old structures in the way we operated if we're really going to, part of that's leadership too, allowing younger people to actually develop and have roles of leadership and and work in churches typically you know you wait to your old and gray and then they run the church kind of but now you've got younger people who really want to step in and and they they want to give of themselves and the church will be better served in the future if we give people those kind of opportunities definitely definitely all right you want number five yeah let's hear one number five are we on number five yeah yeah number number five i think here's an easy one but it's difficult love your people actually know your people appreciate the people build relationships with people, laugh with them, cry with them, because all of this will help when very difficult and hard times and conversations have to happen. Um, I had a wise mentor say to me once, if you want people to follow you, you must first let them know you. But if you want people to follow you in the midst of trial and challenge, you must let them love you. I, I think that and that's a that's a generational thing too. I mean, I think you really you got to have legitimate open relationships as the leader. Whether it's being transparent and talking about your own mistakes and foibles and the way that you've you know learned and grown, but I think it's it's knowing everybody. I mean, do you know the people who, you know, sort of have lower level jobs in your organization, and do you know the people who clean the place at night, and do you value everyone for their role? And again, that's. I think a leader's job is to articulate how everyone in an organization is critical and important, no matter what their individual function, because they're part of something much larger. So I I think that that has been one thing that has benefited me because I've tried to never lose my sort of pastoral formation, the pastoral relationship piece in whatever sort of bureaucratic church job I've had, including now being just a filthy banker, which is what people call me. Now. You know, it's like a filthy banker bar. That's all you do. You know, you're out Uh-oh. there. But you try to, try to take that sort of pastoral care and, 
engender that within the entire staff. So I think so that that's, that's how do you go about that, Bart? And I had a, a gentleman that I interviewed with his company when I was getting out of university and it was about a thousand person company and he was, he was the president of the company. He actually personally interviews everybody that comes into that company. And I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, kind of in during the interview process, the president of the company takes time to interview every single person and knows people by name. And everybody said that they, everybody loved the guy that I talked to because they thought he was so cool. And like, we're amazed that he would take the time to do that. How do you go about doing that? You know, you mentioned your pastoral approach, but you know, are there specific things you do to help build those relationships? Yeah. I mean, so I don't interview everybody, but everybody on their first day of work, the first, one of the first things I do is I make time and I have them to my office and sit down and just talk with them and who they are and what they're about. I keep a very wide open door policy. I, 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 you know, have food events and stuff in my office and at work. I mean, I try to we find ways to directly connect with people. I try to be out and about and just open, you know, I send a lot of handwritten notes to people. I'm still kind of the writer of, you know, handwritten thank you cards and sending birthday wishes around to people. Um, so I think they, they need to see you kind of as the leader of the organization and you're there to make difficult decisions. But I think it's important that in my organization, we have about 110 people on our floor and we have another group that's out of the office. But for those people, you know, I just try to be around and be present. You just stop by and talk to people and not about work or you go in the lunchroom and just sit down and ask people how they're doing. And it, it takes time and it has to be genuine. Um, but I think you just, you have to intentionally kind of cultivate those kind of relationships. And again, I think people will see it if it's genuine and it will help when difficult times come. So, and I don't say difficult, meaning you just have to riff people. This has been a difficult time for LCF to basically, who never, ever thought about being deployed to basically four months ago saying, we have to take all of these banking processes and evaluate all of our process and risk. And like 80% of our people have to start working from home. I mean, this was like a Herculean effort to do this. That was a challenge. Having relationships with people, trusting relationships to tell them that they can do this. We can get you what you want. We can stay connected with you while you're there. I mean, I think it, it changed. We had a healthy culture and environment that even helped us with the hurdle of just trying to get people to be comfortable working out of the office when they weren't together with their teams in a normal fashion, Zoom and all kinds of things have been great and people have learned new ways to connect, but um, I think it I think it really does help, so. Yeah, I totally agree. What's number six? Uh, number six, the last one, you have to be willing to evaluate yourself. I love Corn Ferry, they do 360s. I think leaders should probably every three or four years have a complete 360, Corn Ferry is great to do that. Um, so you need to create an environment where you're open to feedback and criticism and critique, even as the leader of the organization. Uh, and you should also create that environment where people can sort of help mentor and critique each other or get, get input from, from each other. We do a lot of pulse surveys at LCF, these really short, just sort of, you know, asking for their input on a subject. But you know, I mean, the challenge with that, Phil, is if you're gonna ask people their input on a subject, you better be ready to listen, and then you better be ready to do something. Right. <laughs> and, that, and that is, uh, as important as asking is actually doing. But I think the, the self-evaluation, formal and informal ways, because leaders should be lifelong learners. They should never stop. So when I was in the parish at Memorial, I was going to Notre Dame because I wanted to get a degree in liturgical studies because I was going to serve me there. But then I ended up going to the school. And so I started a master's in education because I needed to do that because I thought I, I never finished that degree either. Because then I came to St. Louis and got the LCF. At least finally went and got the MBA and finished that. But I think part of this is the leaders should be learning all the time. I mean, I think good leaders can serve. I was going to say an almost there. I think a good leader could serve basically in any corporation because it's not about knowing the technical skills of the operation. You ought not be down in those weeds. So those leadership skills. And I, while I know that there are some things that are just inherent in people that can't be learned, I still tend to believe that probably 80% of leadership can actually be learned. If, if people want to study, they want to get down in it. And if they want to actually learn the tools of the trade, whatever kind of industry they're working. So. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think we oftentimes get stuck on the technical. I see, I see mm -hmm. so many times where um, some of the best individual contributor type people 
get into roles where, you know, maybe they're not um, the best fit for that role. Or, you know, you talk about 360 feedback. Um, lots of times in, in organizations, it's not necessarily the people electing, you know, leaders or, or like yourself, you know, getting nominated for some of these leadership roles, which I think is the best. That's the best way to get into a leadership role, in my opinion, when, when the people have said, hey, we want you to be our leader. And it's like, okay, cool. You know, like that, that feels good. But uh, it can be really, you know, frustrating when someone's just kind of put over you and, you're, and everyone's just kind of like, huh, that's, that's an interesting move, <laughs> you know. But I, I agree with what you're saying about being open to that feedback. And I think we as leaders need to go out of our way to get that feedback from our people. I, and I think some people maybe don't do that as often as they should, mm-hmm. including myself. Well, it's difficult. I mean, if you're really going to have like a, a 360 done, there are going to be things that are going to be recognized about yourself and your leadership that you won't recognize yourself and and it doesn't mean they're going to be bad but they're going to be areas that you need to develop and work on everybody's going to have blind spots and so i think part of a being a leader is you got to have you know you got to put on your big girl panties and you got to be willing to recognize that you don't know everything about everything and you have areas to learn and grow and again that's maybe part of the culture when people see the leader is admitting that and wanting that kind of feedback and wants to do it. it it helps create a culture where everyone should feel more open to that and not you know feel hyper criticized if, if they're evaluated and they find the areas that they need to grow into yeah and in their defense it's easy be with all the busyness all the craziness of all the situation we're in mm-hmm. it's so easy to get caught up in, in all the technical detail of just maintaining operations yep and um so totally agree with that point. And I think those six points are absolutely tremendous. I'd like to get into a little bit about LCEF, what they're doing, and a little bit about your vision there and all the work LCEF's doing. Sure. So LCEF has been, I don't know how much your listeners will know about kind of church extension fund, but so in the early days of the LCMS, and I'm talking early days, you know, churches would like pool money together, just basically like donation gift money to be able to build another church or especially like to be able to build a school. And, and they weren't going, they weren't finding resources outside the church. And again, a lot of that was sort of gifts. And this developed in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod kind of in our district. So our districts over time in the early years, say about a hundred years ago, they started creating these church extension funds where they would across their district pool dollars together. Now at that time, Phil, there was no, there was no real interest paid on that money. It was like, Let's just put money in the pool, and then as churches and schools need to be built, people will pull out of that big pool of money, and then they'll put money back in as their church and school gets up and going, they'll sort of repay it. But probably in like the early 70s, the Synod recognized that we had all these individual church extension funds and that there was a lot of duplication. And of course, the just sort of oversight by the government and regulations, particularly around selling securities, was you know, they needed to be registered and it was becoming more legally cumbersome. So it was a ton of duplication and probably a lot of wasted money. So 1978 Lutheran Church Extension Fund was kind of born and it was to then bring in all the church extension funds from the districts across the LCMS. And there are now only there, all the districts are in LCEF except four, one being yours. Texas still has its own CEF. Michigan is the largest, has its CEF. Southern districts over by you in Louisiana, that neck of the woods, and then central Illinois. But all the other districts have entered LCF. Uh, And now we work off the invested dollars. So we are the church's kind of financial institution. People buy various products from us. They invest their money with us for a nice return. We then pool all of that money together, and then we lend to districts, congregations, schools, recognized service organizations, auxiliaries of the church, and also to roster church workers for mortgages. Um, and so that's the way the pool goes. We're able to receive dollars in from faithful investors within the Lutheran Church. We put that money back to work in the Lutheran Church. And besides the financial resources, LCF is given in the bylaws to also provide other, other related ministry services. So we have things like Laborers for Christ that help actually build facilities um, across the country. We still do capital campaigns to help congregations raise money. We have stewardship resources for how you steward your financial gifts. I have things now for congregations kind of around strategic planning. Uh, We have the pieces around real estate, which you and I talked about earlier uh, as an opportunity, maybe at Memorial. So uh, we try to provide some of these other 
other pieces that kind of help the overall health and wellness of LCF. And as I shared with you before we started, LCF is now this year uh, grown to over $2 billion in total assets. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty big operation. We have about $1.7 billion in the loan portfolio. Um, and so it's been a tremendous blessing to the church. Because as you can imagine, we're not like your commercial lender or even your bank down the street. Um, we know the church better. We know and understand their needs, particularly their financial needs. And when problems come within the church, LCF is able to work with our borrowers in pretty unique ways uh, to provide them to provide them help and relief. So um, it's worked worked well. And the LCF board of directors now is uh, really kind of on a stick around aggressive growth. They would like to see LCF double in total assets and net assets over the next five years. Uh, they've articulated a new mission and vision statement and core values. The vision now is quite clear around growing ministry opportunity, that everything we need to do is around leveraging the resources we have for growth. And that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a touchy subject in the LCMS because right now we're not just stagnant, <laughs> we're actually declining. Sure. And, and there's there's a pretty rapid decline of, of church members in the pew. The number of congregations is declining. So I think our board is looking to say, how does LCF with its financial and other resources maybe really help invigorate the church? How do we help develop leaders in the church, not just church workers, but laymen and women in the church to lead, to actually support a renewed opportunity for growth in the church? Because there are opportunities, um, but a lot of those are going to take money and other resources to make happen. And so our board wants LCF to be in that position to we certainly are following the church. You know, we're, we're, we're working at the district level and we're following, listening where churches and ministries have need. But we also would try to like to get out in front a little bit and actually start to see and open opportunities that a church might not see all in of itself. So we can sure. do, we do a lot of demographic studies, the stuff around real estate. We're able to maybe make some opportunities and for congregations to connect with their communities that they might not otherwise see. So it's, it's a great opportunity, I think, for LCF to really, to really grow. And we've been able to do this during the pandemic and really help our ministries. Our, our investors have been fabulous. This year, really unsolicited, we brought in, we brought in kind of net about $125 million wow. um, in investments this year. Um, because all we did was we told people LCF exists to do extraordinary things in extraordinary times. And our borrowers need us right now, and some of them need help, and the investment dollars just come in. So it's uh, they're very, very faithful in supporting the church um, in good times and in bad. So we're, we're looking forward for growth and expansion and seeing that happen across the Senate as sure, the man. Lord blesses. What a cool mission, and obviously a, a super cool time to be doing things. And I know a lot of congregations out there, you know, one of the biggest areas they're challenged is really being good, faithful stewards of their, their finances. And I'm curious if you have any insight into where you see congregations can improve in managing finances or, or just get smarter overall with how they manage their finances. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with lay leadership. <laughs> you know, in, in too many places, the pastor is kind of stuck doing that stuff. Um, it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't need to be that way. So, so LCF has been trying to provide, and we've talked about in the future, providing more resources around just bookkeeping and accounting and how you you a lot of times we find out when people come to us for a loan we start asking for financial information uh, now it's one thing if we ask your congregation for financial information you guys got your books all straightened out but you wouldn't believe that what a teaching opportunity that is for lcf to just sit down with people to talk about even how they keep a basic budget within their church so mm -hmm. we are always out there trying to find ways to increase just sort of financial awareness and good stewardship with the gifts that they have. Uh, and again, a lot of times churches have, have gifts and value that they just don't even know that they have. And, uh, but, but raising up lay folks to actually help keep the finances uh, and steward is an important, is an important piece of our work. Yeah, that's huge. Finances is such a big thing and talk about uh, exposing yourself or being vulnerable. <laughs> I've had to do a lot of learning and, and I'm still learning a whole lot related to finance. And, um, you know, I'm not sure when you began really digging into finances, but you know, I'm sure going to be the CEO at this financial institution, that had to be a little overwhelming for you. How did, how'd you kind of deal with that and, and, uh, wrestle with that? Yeah. Well, I wanted to say at first, my first, my first forays into finances were 
at Memorial back in the old church office, like months after I had been there. And uh, I remember one of the very first meetings, this was kind of one of those mentoring moments. Uh, the, the individual gentleman is no longer, they don't live in Houston anymore, but we, we were talking about church and finance and everything. And he just basically said, uh, no ministry without margin. And he's like, it, it, and people would talk about, people would talk about the ministry, like that it could just sort of drive over the budget and finances. And he would just, he would say things like this. He'd be like, I'm all down with the ministry thing, but let's talk about the finance. And, and basically arguing that you can't use Jesus as the excuse for not having your financial house in order. In fact, he would say, you know, because we have the good Lord and he's asking us to be stewards, we actually should be more mindful of these things. And we actually won't be doing any ministry at all if we don't have any margin and we run our church and school into the ground. You know, that's going to be great because now we have nothing left. Right. So, I mean, I learned some of those lessons pretty early at Memorial. And there were a lot of really, really savvy business people around Memorial that sort of helped. They, they weren't teaching me sort of how to do finances, but they were certainly giving me a framework of how finance works within the church. And when I came to the LCMS at the school, even at Memorial, I had to do a lot of stuff with finance, but we had a great bookkeeper and he taught me lots of things. And when I was at Synod, I was asked to oversee a, a fairly robust budget, particularly when I was CMO. I had all international mission work and pastoral ed, and I had the bulk of the entire Synod budget that was sort of under my tutelage. And I had a whole accounting department and a CFO and, you know, they ran the nuts and bolts. But so, I mean, I guess I would say that I've learned over time. Now, coming to LCF was different, and it wasn't about running a budget or even the size of the financial institution at $2 billion. It was more the actual operation of LCF and how it is funded and how it, how it repays investors and how it safeguards itself from loss, interest rate risk, um, how you balance assets and liabilities on your balance sheet and capital asset ratios and liquidity and all the rest. Because uh, LCF is a church extension fund. I mean, we're not FDIC'd insured. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, so our protections are self-internal protections around how much we're capitalized and, and how we set aside loan loss reserve and protect ourselves and liquidity rates and all the rest. So what was more kind of daunting, Phil, was sort of learning how LC, how that model works. And what's interesting is so I jumped in and learned that, and I would argue now, you know, for the first 40 years, LCF lived in a rising rate interest environment, and then we started living in a declining rate environment, and now we're living in like a zero rate environment. Yeah. And some of the fundamental ways that we run and operate LCF um, probably have to be reconsidered for future growth, and we have to find some new financial structures in which to live. So part of that was going to school to get the MBA was just to actually engage in those kind of conversations. But again, LCF is blessed with tremendous people that have a lot of expertise in banking and investing and other things. And uh, we pay them to do those things and they steward, I guess, very, very well. But it was a bit, it was a bit overwhelming, but probably all leaders should feel a little bit overwhelmed. I mean, when you take on a new, on a new uh, thing, at least for me as a leader, you know, I'm kind of a type A. I like a little thrill and excitement. I mean, who wants to go take a new job to be a leader of an organization that you've got it all figured out? I mean, <laughs> you can just whip it down the first day. I mean, part of this is sort of the, the desire to do something that is bigger than you are, put your skills kind of to the test, kind of get in there and, you know, chew on things and learn. And so that, yeah. that's what I've been able to do in all these that goes to your point about always being someone that's learning. And uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the best way to learn, obviously, is by experience. I loved your comment about people giving and wanting to almost give outside their means um, when, you know, they're trying to be stewards of what God has given them. And I think it's so important as leaders, you know, we've all been given gifts by God and we need to be good stewards of those gifts. But you can't just go giving things that God hasn't given to you to give you know that 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 whole concept is just shocking to me that you know it's like great you know you're really generous and, and want to give of yourself but but god hasn't given it to you to do that so um great. you know i i think it's so cool that you're doing what you're doing at lcef and it sounds like an amazing opportunity and some really cool activities going on tell us a little bit about anything else going on in your world and where people can find you uh. I don't know that there's much else going on in my world. I'm just staying busy with a wife and six kids and yeah. I'm still 
you know, trying to get completely out of my house and into flight. And so I get another one graduated from college and high school this year. And that's, that's a good thing to see how the Lord blesses them and raises them up and the good things that they will do. Uh, what has family taught you about leadership, Mark? Uh, family has taught me a lot of humility um, and that um, a lot of patience. Uh, it's taught me to laugh a lot at myself and, and with my kids and with my wife. It's taught me a lot about forgiveness that, uh, you know, you better be willing to dole it out because you need a lot of it yourself. So family has been, has been really, really formative. My family has been extremely, extremely supportive. Um, as you can imagine, when you're a parish pastor, you're just kind of sometimes like a chicken with your head cut off. Just the schedule, you know, I mean, you, you make plans and then, you know, somebody's in the hospital and you have to go or somebody dies and you have to do a funeral. I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. It's all great stuff, but it's a little chaotic. And there's, there's just sort of a, a unique sacrifice, I think, that pastor families make around time. And they gladly did that for all those years. And I think I had the idea that that would get a little bit better when I came to Synod and kind of had a bureaucratic job. And I don't know that the time is any better. So there, my wife is very gracious and loving and generous and helps run our household so that I can be now at LCF kind of out and about all over the world, uh, you know, doing work and doing quite a bit of travel. But yeah, they've taught me a, a lot of patience and humility and, and grace and forgiveness. And uh, the Lord is, the Lord has been very gracious to me and my family. So I feel quite, I could feel quite blessed by them. Well, Bart Day, I appreciate it, sir. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Absolutely. Got nothing, got nothing but brotherly love for you. What, what else you got for us? I was just going to say, if anybody wants to reach me or has questions, they can certainly email me, bart.day at lcef.org, or you can give me a call at 314-885-6300. That's my direct office line, so I'm always happy to uh, connect. I'm on Facebook. You can send me social media questions or whatever, but uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for the podcast and all that you do, and uh, keep up the good work at Memorial. Thank you, Rev Day. Appreciate it. You take care. Yep, thank you. If you enjoyed today's show, give it a five-star rating. Follow, subscribe, and head on over to GoLeadEverything.com to learn more about the Go Lead Everything movement. For more great content daily, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at RealPhilSwanson, Facebook and LinkedIn at PhilipSwanson, and for videos of these episodes and other great video content daily, subscribe to the Phil Swanson channel on YouTube. Now go lead everything.